Lord, as always, you wrote this. We pray you would teach us, you would lead us, you would guide us. Help us to know it, hear it, understand it, and represent it, Lord. We pray you are glorified. We pray salvation is presented. Pray the saints are equipped and let your Holy Spirit just lead right now. A word of wisdom and knowledge and understanding in your name. Amen. Mark chapter 8. You may remember a few weeks ago, we did a study and we did a whole bunch of chapters at the same time. We did a chunk of Mark 4. We did all of Mark chapter 5 as well because we wanted to get the full context of it. Remember, these books were written with the understanding that you would sit down and read them. Chapters and verses and breaks were added hundreds of years later. And to be quite honest, sometimes they break up things that shouldn't be broken up. So you get to the end of a chapter and you say, oh, well, that section's done. Or if your Bible's like my Bible, you may have extra little phrases over things that is not in the original scriptures. And so you kind of just say, well, there's a little section. Those are all added by man. The idea is this book is supposed to be read straight through. And it really doesn't take long to read those books straight through, and you get the full context of it. With that being said, if time would allow tonight, I would really like to be able to start with Mark chapter 8, verse 11, and it would be great to get all the way through Mark chapter 9, verse 13, because it's one complete thought. So I checked. I checked with all the ministries back there. We can stay tonight to 10. So the doors are locked. Congratulations. You are with us now to 10 o'clock. Um, we're not going to do that. I understand that. I'm just saying that's what I would like to do. We can't. I'm going to give you an overview to tell you why I think we should try to see the big picture. Then we're going to go back to Mark chapter 8, verse 11, and we're going to break this down as we do it. Now, as we do this, I'm going to share with you some stories of just what I've gone through with um, sharing my faith with other people. And the reason I do this is, is why. I love watching videos online of people sharing the gospel with other people. I absolutely love it. It's so exciting to see. If you stop and you think about it, the Bible makes it clear. Heaven rejoices when somebody gets saved. Think about that. Heaven rejoices. So if somebody getting saved makes heaven rejoice, why would I not want to see God be happy and rejoice? And it just blows my mind that the angels rejoice. Heaven throws a party when someone gets saved. I want to be involved with that as much as possible. And I love watching the gospel being presented. And so I watch these videos on a regular basis. And if one is really good, I'm like, boys, you've got to watch this. And we'll watch it as part of the devotions. You learn so much. Learn so much of what works and what doesn't work and how to let the Holy Spirit lead. And I am not a fan of a pre-programmed have to do this. I, I think for me that's dangerous. I think each conversation, each thing is unique. And I don't know if I've ever had one that's identical to something else. And so I think it's important to share because as I watch these videos, I learn from it. I see how the Holy Spirit moves. And I don't want you to ever feel like, oh, James is telling another story again. Look at James. No, I want you guys to be passionate and excited to go out there because this is what I've noticed among most Christians. They're scared to death to share their faith. Scared. We're not scared to talk about our spouse. We're not scared to talk about the weather. We're not scared to talk about anything else in this world. But when it comes to sharing the most important thing to us of who Jesus Christ is, we start to clam up and get really scared. I'm going to tell you right now, I get nervous every single time I get a chance to talk to someone about the Lord. Part of it's excited. Part of it's adrenaline. Part of it's I sure hope I don't screw this up. Part of it is, oh no, what are they going to think? But man, I tell you, it's the most important thing. So I'm just going to share some stories as we go through that as well. This is the logical progression of this. Please understand, this book right here was written to be understood. It always concerns me when I run into a Christian and says, yeah, I don't read the Bible. Why? I don't understand it. I don't get it. 
It was written to be understood. It was written to be devoured and memorized and studied. So I want you to see what I'm seeing. If you look in verses 11 and 12, here's our overview. They want a sign. They've seen dead people raised. They've seen people that couldn't walk healed. They've seen people that were deaf healed. They've seen blind people healed. They've seen the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen the feeding of the 4,000. They've seen sign after sign after sign. And they show up now in verses 11 and 12 and say, we want a sign. Boy, that's the world, isn't it? You know, if God would just come down in flesh and introduce himself to me, I'd be a Christian in a heartbeat. We'll get to that in a little bit. So they want a sign. Here's the problem. 13 through 21. You've got to be careful of what you allow into your life. You've got to be careful as you're seeking a sign. Be careful. Watch out what you allow in. It amazes me. If I came in and I set a buffet in the back for you, let's do the fellowship meal here. And they didn't do this tonight as far as I know, so since you've already eaten, don't worry about this. Imagine you see this buffet in the back and it's the most amazing spread of food you could ever imagine you ever want. And you are just devouring, just wanting to get into it. But before you get into it, I say, hey, quick announcement before we start. I just want to say real quick before we pray. Um, there was a brief accident with the food. And what happened was just, just one cup, one cup of manure got mixed in with all the food. Would you still eat it? No. Hey, guys, I don't know what happened. It was just a tablespoon of poison. No, of course not. Because you watch what you eat. But yet when it comes to spiritual matters... We allow anything and everything in. Guys, be discerning. Be discerning of everything you read. Be discerning of everything you listen to. Be discerning of me. If I can't back it up with a Bible verse, why are you listening to me? Know what you believe and why you believe it. And it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort, but it is worth it. And we'll get to that because Jesus is saying be discerning as you're seeking a sign. Why do we need to seek a sign and be discerning? Because verses 22 through 26, we're blind. We're blind. Some of you that got saved later in life, you remember what it's like before you got saved. You remember that spiritual blindness you had. We're blind and we need to be able to see. And then what happens is we need to understand who Jesus is, 27 through 30, and we need to answer the most important question in the world, I think verse 29, but who do you say that I am? See, he starts out in 27, who do men say that I am? But the most important question, the only question that matters is verse 29. Who do you say that I am? I've shared this story with you before. You know where it's going. But it's just true. When I first got saved, I would ask everybody I ran into, do you believe in God? And everybody I ran into believed in God. And at that time, I realized I was the world's greatest evangelist because everybody I met believed in God. Then I realized that that's not the right question to ask. The next question is, okay, are you a Christian? And then now you're down to about three-fourths of everybody claims to be a Christian. I still thought I was a pretty good evangelist. Then I started reading and understanding the scriptures, and I started getting to this question, verse 29. Who's Jesus to you? Ask somebody who Jesus is to them, and you'll find out a whole awful lot about him. A whole awful lot about him. When we go up to Dearborn, we get a chance to go door-to-door in the Muslim communities and, and get a chance to witness to the Muslims. A lot of the Muslims, as soon as you bring up the fact they're a Christian, they stop you and say, oh, we love Jesus. You love Jesus? Oh, we love Jesus. We love Jesus, yes. Okay, well, well great. I'm going to go on to the next door. I didn't know this. Because to them, Jesus is one of the prophets. 
And so they love Jesus, the prophet. If you ask them, who is Jesus to you? He's a great prophet. It's not the Savior that died on the cross for their sins. You can go up to many, many different religions and, and cults. You can talk to the Jehovah Witnesses about who Jesus is and Mormons who Jesus is. Ask them who Jesus is, and you'll really find out what they believe. That's why Christ is asking right here in 29, but who do you say that I am? That's a question we all have to answer. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Now, once you answer that question, realize verse 31, you see the whole purpose now of why Jesus came. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must, note that word must, suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. It must happen. This is why sometimes people struggle with Christianity, this whole idea of God has to die. God came down in the form of man and died. How can a God die? Because God took the form of a man to pay for the sins of mankind. I had a debt I could not pay. I had a debt I could not pay. And I tell you right now, if I can't pay off my house, the bank doesn't care who pays for it. They just want their money. I have a debt I cannot pay in heaven. I am a sinner, and there's no amount of good I can do to make up for my sins. Jesus says, hey, I'll pay for his debt. God the Father doesn't care as long as the currency is good. And you've heard me say this many times before, the only currency accepted up in heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus pays for my debt that I couldn't pay. How else would I get up there? One of my favorite questions to ask people, and I, and I learned this from watching these videos online, is this. When you really want to know what someone believes about salvation... Do a hypothetical question with them. Say, I got one minute to live. One minute, that's all I got. How can I be saved? Boy, you can't base it on good works. I can't do enough good works in one minute to get into heaven. Can't base it on religious sacraments and religious ordinances because there's not enough time to do it all. I can't make a special pilgrimage to some place in the world in one minute. So it's amazing how all these world religions all of a sudden get knocked off because they can't get me saved in one minute. As far as I know, Christianity is the only world religion that says, you got one minute, I can get you saved in one minute. Let me tell you about Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So he tells us about this. And then he tells us in 34 through 38, now that you're saved, take up your cross and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? What is your calling? What is your ministry? What has God asked you to do? And once you do all this, chapter 9, you get to see God in his glory. The transfiguration of Jesus. See, it all is one big picture. I heard a teaching a long time ago that really has just, just impacted me lately, is if you dissect a flower, you lose its beauty. A flower is designed to be looked at in all of its beauty, but if you take the flower apart piece by piece, you lose the beauty of it. If we would just do verses 11 and 12 tonight, okay, that's good, God's good, and the next week we just do verses 13 through 21, that's good. I want you to see the whole pattern here. They're looking for a sign. Jesus says, whoa, whoa, be careful when you're looking for answers. Don't look in the wrong area. Because why? You're blind. And you need to stop and say, who am I to you? And realize that I'm the one that died and rose again. And now take up your cross and follow me. And then you'll see me in all my glory. And that's what Mark 8, 11 through Mark 9, 13 talks about. And that's what we're going to spend the next couple weeks doing it. But I wanted you to get the overview of this before we move on and actually start now dissecting the flower. So with that being said, 
Mark 8, verse 11. But before we get started, any quick questions about the overview to get to where we're at here at this point? We're good? Okay. Let's jump in. Verse 11. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in the spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Surely I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. This is something I try to do with the boys all the time. Boys never get into peer pressure. I bet you can't do that. Oh, I can. Oh, I bet you can't. I can't. Be confident enough to know that if you can do it, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Just be confident enough that. And so here's the problem that we live in this world today. Oh, yeah, you think you could do it? Prove it. So you prove it. Okay, do it again. Do it again. Look at Jesus' resume by this point in Mark chapter 8. Raise the dead? Check. Feed the 5,000? Check. Feed the 4,000? Check. Deaf people healed? Check. Blind people healed? Check. Lame people healed? Check. Walk on water? Check. Control the weather? Check. Jesus, if you could just show us a sign, we'll believe in you. What's he got left? Oh, he's got one thing left. What's this one thing? How about I die and rise again? You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Keep your hand here and mark back up to the book of Matthew, please. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus, by this point, says, I'll give you one sign, one sign alone. Matthew chapter 12, please. Take a look at verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You want a sign? Here's the sign. You're going to see me die. No question about it. Dead. Beaten to a bloody pulp. Spear thrust into me. Dead. Put into a grave. Sealed. Roman guard covering it. And then a couple days later tomb is empty. I was listening to a teaching recently by Alistair Begg, and he said, listen, do you know how really easy it is to defeat Christianity? Christianity is the easiest religion to defeat. You know how you defeat it? Show them the body of Jesus. That's all you have to do. Show us the body of Jesus, and Christianity goes down in flames. Throughout the entire book of Acts, when the Jews are getting upset, that the world is being turned upside down by Christians. Show us the body. It's over. It's done. That's why this sign is so amazing. So Jesus says, I'll give you one more sign, and this is the sign. I will defeat death. And that's why, if you remember the story in the book of Luke, in the Luke where it says the rich man and Lazarus, and they both die, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom of reward. Um, rich man goes to the place of torment, and the man in torment says, I want to go back and tell my brothers the, the reality that there is a real place of torment in hell, and, and I, and I want to go back and tell them. If you remember correctly what Abraham says, even if somebody comes back from the dead, they're not going to believe it. Oh, that's crazy. Of course they would. Nope. Jesus rose from the dead. Forty days walked this earth. People still said, yeah, I don't know if that's enough. At that point, they're not interested. One of the great questions to ask people when sharing your faith is this, when you start realizing that, uh, is their heart open or not? It's kind of a deep question. You stop and you ask and you say, now listen, if, if, if I could prove to you without a shadow of a doubt that Christianity is true, would you want to be a Christian? They still say, you know, I don't know. Then you realize right there, their problem is not an issue of evidence and faith. They just don't want to obey God. 
Because if we can prove beyond a shadow without Christianity is true and they still don't want it, it just shows they don't want a relationship with God. They'd rather be in their sins. You run into some people that just want to be in their sins. I was at uh, Hoytville Park. Hoytville Park is the closest park to us. If you've never been to Hoytville Park, it doesn't surprise me because we've been in our house for 12 years. We've gone to Hoytville Park, and there's only been one time in the years that we've gone I've ever had a conversation with somebody, and that was just a couple weeks ago. Took the boys over there to go fishing. So as we're fishing, this guy pulls up, stops and asks me, hey, are the fish biting? We have a little bit of chit-chat about this, and fish weren't doing anything for us. He goes in, and he starts fishing, and he's fishing by himself, and we're getting ready to go. And I really felt like the Lord said, go over and talk to him. So I walk over to him. It's just him and I. And I said, so, hey, what are you doing? Are you fishing? And he starts telling me all about his lures and his lines. And this is where you try to become all things to all people and act like you know what you're talking about. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I, wait, I wait my hook, too. What do you weight yours with? Because whatever you use, that's what I use, too, you know. Um, I have no idea. I just cast it in and catch nothing. But he's got all the details. And so as we're talking, I just try to be myself. It's a beautiful day. Like God gave us a beautiful day today, didn't he? I guess so. Now, at this point, what do you do? I can have a nice little conversation with him about fishing. We could talk. I know where he works. I know his wife's name. I know how many kids he has. We've made chit-chat. So now we're bringing up God. Boy, it's a beautiful day God gave us, isn't it? guess so. Now, why not just take the next step and ask him, right? Why does it become nervous at that point? It's not nervous for me to tell him about my wife. I love talking about my wife. It's not nervous for him to tell me about my kids. I love talking about my kids. I mean, can you imagine being married and you run into someone and like you're, I don't know if I should tell them I'm married or not. I'm so nervous telling people that I'm married and talking about my kids. Of course not. You get out your pictures and you show everybody everything and you show them stuff. So it's a beautiful day that God gave us, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Do you know what I did? Here's Evangelism 101 by James. Hey, do you believe in God? Why not ask him? What's he going to do? Kill me in front of my kids and throw my body in the Hoytville pond? <laughs> if he does, there's five witnesses. This guy was out of shape. My kids can outrun him. I know he could. He's not going to kill me. I've been in places before where I actually thought someone was going to physically assault me and hurt me because of my faith. This guy was not going to do it. He had a, quite the fishing pole, but it wouldn't kill me. What's the worst that could happen? He says, yes, I'm a Christian. He loves Jesus. I love Jesus. We hug, become brothers in the Lord, and next thing you know, whatever. What's the worst that could happen? I don't want to talk about it. I just was witnessing to a guy this week on uh, just a few days ago, and I talked to him about the Lord. He just stopped and said, I don't want to talk about it. I said, is there a reason why? He goes, I, I, I don't really, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, door closed. Not going to shove it open. You don't want it. I said, do you believe in God? He goes, yeah, I believe in God. He said, okay, what's the next question then? So are you a Christian? Um, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. Okay, why not? So the next thing we know, we start talking. Why he doesn't think he's a Christian, but yet he believes in God. So we just started the conversation going. One of the things that came up, the reason I believe this, 11 and 12, is what evidence is there? Everybody wants a sign. Generally, I stop at this point, just kind of point outside and say, I, that's enough evidence for me. I see creation. Creation, I think, denotes a creator. That's my opinion on that. And I believe that's what the Bible says. Hebrews 11, verse 6, says that we're supposed to believe in faith, in faith, that the world was created out of nothing. So that's a good gauge to see what they believe. And we'll get back to the story of the guy there, of what happened and how it goes from there. But he wanted a sign. Let's build on this. Can you go with me now to John chapter 20? 
Wouldn't it be easy if God just gave us signs? Like, we, we wouldn't have to pray about anything. Lord, if you want me to take the job, make it thunder right now. Lord, if you want me to leave the job, make it thunder right now. All of a sudden, and you've heard me teach on this before, you don't have a relationship with God at that point. You have a relationship with signs. Don't seek signs. Seek the Savior. Take a look right here in John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with him when Jesus came. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to him, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas gets a bad rap. Do not call him Doubting Thomas. Call him Honest Thomas. He's honest. There's other times where Thomas's opinion is recorded in the Bible and you see he has no filter between head and mouth. Now, not like a Peter, no filter between head and mouth where he gets himself in trouble. Thomas is the guy that just says, this is what I think. I'm involved with many boards. You want a Thomas on your board that says, guys, this is what I think. I think it's a dumb idea. Okay, appreciate your honesty. Don't come to the next board meeting, but I appreciate your honesty right now. Thomas, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my finger in his hand and put my finger in his side. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. That's quite the amazing verse. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus didn't, wasn't there when he said it. Jesus came through a locked door. Jesus is God, verse 27. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Now look at the response of Christ, 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You're more blessed than Thomas. If you're here tonight and you believe and are a Christian, you are more blessed than Thomas because you believed without seeing the world tells me seeing is believing. The Bible tells me believing is seeing. I don't know how many times people have told me I would be a Christian if they could see. Then your relationship is not based on faith in any way whatsoever. Your relationship is based on seeing. The Bible says you believe and then you start to see the Lord move and you start to see the Lord work. Take a look at 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. When you read the Bible and you hear these stories and you say, I, I, this is amazing. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. You have to have faith that the Lord is moving and working. So when they come and say, we want a sign... God says, sure, the sign is I died and rose again, and now I want you to believe this in faith. Go with me to Hebrews 11, please. Hebrews 11. Be careful when you make yourself have your relationship with the Lord based on seeing. It's based on faith. And I tell you this, when you have faith, you start seeing the things. Take a look at Hebrews 11. Start in verse 1. Here's the definition of faith according to the Bible. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now I want to stop right there. Creation comes up a lot in uh, sharing your faith. I've mentioned that before. I remember when we were up in Dearborn last year and we were going door to door to invite the Muslims to a uh, vacation Bible school that we actually ran into a non-Muslim and uh, invited him and he goes, oh, I don't have any kids. And the person that was handing out things, oh, don't worry about it. We have a dinner. You can come out. Oh, to this and that. And he finally says, look, I'm an atheist. Okay? And so the person that was handing out the stuff just said, okay, and kind of walked on. I thought, this is the guy we need to talk to. Right? He comes right out and says, I don't believe in God. So I went over to him. I said, I said, sorry, I don't want to offend you or anything, but you said you're an atheist. He goes, yeah. I said, I love talking to atheists. And I said, I hope that doesn't come across as condescending. I said, I absolutely love talking to atheists. And I said, I'm asking you right here, right now, sincerely, why are you an atheist? And he said, because there's no evidence of God. And I said, no evidence of God, no evidence of God. I said, what do you see around here? Because I see science. That's what he told me. I said, I see science too. Science being held and designed by something. And we had this wonderful conversation where you've got to remember when it comes to sharing your faith, you're not at that point trying to say, I want you to hit your knees right now and accept Jesus. I notice a lot of times when I share my faith with somebody, you just try to put a little dent in their armor. Make them go home and think. Plant a seed. Plant a seed. That guy I was talking to at the uh, pond, we got down to the end, and I'll share more about what we talked about between we got down to the end. I said, I have a tract for you. Can I give you a tract? And his answer was, no, I don't want it. I said, how about this? I leave it right in your tackle box. You can look at it later sometime. Nope, don't want it. No problem. I would love for him to hit his knees and get saved right there, and we'll go baptize him right in Hoytville Pond right then. Didn't happen. But I talked to him, represented the Lord to him, and go from there. This is a thought I don't like, but this is a thought I think I need to share. The more I share my faith with people, the more I realize God is using me. I was hoping he's using me to see people get saved. What I now just know more is this. He's using me to take away their excuses. So that way when they die and stand before him at the great white throne judgment and they cry out, I never knew, God says, my servant James talked to you. Don't you remember? Hoytville Pond. You didn't want to read the track. You weren't interested. Don't you remember Dearborn? He came over to you and said, why are you an atheist? And you said, there's no evidence of my existence. I have come to the conclusion, the Lord does use me to bring people into the kingdom. But more, more normally, he uses me to take away people's excuses. And guess what? God is sovereign. I'm not. And according to the Bible, he can use me for whatever purpose he wants to use me for. And I need to trust that part of my sharing of my faith is being completely, utterly rejected. And God still says, James, I used you. Yeah, but Lord, they said no. I know. I know they said no. But a seed was planted. A seed was watered. Or heart was made hard. I don't know. But I used you. Jump ahead to Hebrews 11, verse 6. Here's that verse I referenced earlier. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Lord says, I want you to walk in faith, not sight. He wants you to do this. And he says, you're blessed by it. You are blessed by believing without seeing. And I know the world hears that and says, this is why I don't like you Christians. You guys sound so immature. You sound so dumb. 
that you believe in this invisible God that you think is up in heaven, that you've never seen, you've not heard his audible voice, and you everything that you think just happens, happens because of this invisible God moving puzzle pieces around. I'm like, I know, isn't it great? Yeah, that's, that's what I believe. Are you a Christian too? No, he's mocking me. I'm cool with that. Because that's the definition of faith, is believing without seeing. That's why it's so hard. So if you don't have faith, guess what? Bible gives you two ways that you can get more faith. If you're a note taker, write it down. Luke 17, verse 5. Luke 17, verse 5, one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. Lord, help my unbelief. You don't have a lot of faith? How about you pray for more? That's a biblical, scriptural mandate. Lord, I'm, I'm, not, I'm doubting you. Lord, I'm not seeing you. I'm not trusting you. Lord, I'm looking for, for facts and evidence rather than sometimes just realizing I need to trust the unseen. So, Lord, help my unbelief. Number two, Romans ten seventeen, Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes by hearing and by hearing God's word. If your faith is not very strong, I have to ask you, how's your time in the Bible? Because if your time in the Bible is not very strong, how's your faith going to be very strong? not going to happen. It's like somebody coming and saying, you know what, I really, really want to be a runner. Great. How much are you running? Oh, I'm not. How do you plan to be a runner? Don't know, but I really want to be one. I really want to go deeper in my walk with the Lord. Great. Get in the Word. Your faith will grow. You'll start reading about these people in the Old Testament. You're like, I can't believe they went through that. And God got them through it. Yep. A lot of the Psalms are, remember what God has done. And that builds your faith. I got this thing that I went through a while ago, and it's just one word I repeat in my head. And when the going gets tough and I start doubting, I just say that one word of what the Lord did. And it's like, okay, Lord, you did that. That's the biggest thing you've ever done for me. You'll do this now. Why am I worried about this? Because you, you did that. So in faith, I trust you can do this because I've seen you do that. That's what the Lord does. So, guys, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. Jesus says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. I'll die and rise again. Is that enough? For some people, sadly, that is not enough. So that is the first part there, 11 and 12. Before we get to the next one, any quick questions about anything here thus far? Understanding faith, understanding uh, believing is seeing, and what Paul said about that, Jesus said about that, etc. Are we good? Okay, very good. Now, moving on to the next one. I don't know how much of this we'll get through. Verse 13, and he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Okay, listen, you've got to love these disciples. I mean, you've got to love them. He, he feeds ten to 15,000 people with, you know, some loaves and fishes, and they're like, wow, that was amazing. Two chapters later, they kind of forget about it, which we covered that last week. They feed 4,000. And we know they had stuff left over, because take a look, verse 9. Now, those who had eaten were about 4,000. He sent them away. Now, granted, maybe enough time had passed. Verse 14, how do you forget to take bread? 15, then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Ah, it's because we have no bread. Man, the disciples are one of those people you want to hug them and slap them at the same time. You really do. Because, no, it's not about the bread of the Pharisees and Herod. It's not that you're actually going to King Herod and buying his bread. It's not that you're going to the Pharisees and buying the bread. 
you're not understanding. Be careful what you eat. Be careful what you allow into your ears, what you allow into your eyes. In other parts of the Gospels, it talks about the eyes bring right into your soul. Now, now there's two ways to take this. Let's just take this one physically in this earth. Why would I ever want to watch certain movies when I know they're just full of sex, nudity, language, whatever? Nothing good comes out of that. Why would I want that to come in? Be careful what I eat. Why would I want to listen to certain songs? Be careful what I listen to. I have a general little rule. I try not to be legalistic around it. If I can't watch it with my boys, I generally don't watch it. If I can't listen to it in front of my boys, I generally don't listen to it. Because if I don't want them, I don't know why I am. I try to be careful what comes in. And I think as believers, we do need to be careful about what we choose to watch, listen to, etc. Number two, from a spiritual standpoint, be careful of the bread that you spiritually eat. One of my least favorite questions, and I know you guys will do this now just to annoy me, is when someone comes up to me and says, Hey, James, got this pastor that I started listening to, and I absolutely love him. Have you ever heard of so-and-so, and what do you think of him? Oh, I hate that question. Because this is what I've noticed. Some of the worst pastors out there are some of the most entertaining. Some of the worst teaching pastors... About 90% of what they say is really good, but that last 10% is awful. It goes back to my analogy at the beginning. Hey, guys, the food is beautiful. It's wonderful. But one tiny mouse fell in and it got ground up in it. I don't know which pot. So eat at your own risk. Now, some of you would. I mean, you would, I don't care. You know what? It all goes to the same spot, right? But the point is, you know... It's gross. No. Why don't we have that discernment when it comes to music and television and movies? How was the movie? Oh, it was really good. There's a few bad parts in it. Well, how many bad parts have to be in it before we say it's not good? How many bad words do they need to say? How much inappropriate images do I need to see? Okay, how's the teacher? Oh, he's really good. You just have to ignore this, 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 and this. Well, how much do I need to ignore before I realize this, this isn't good? See, 17, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Jesus, sometimes I believe, got frustrated. I get frustrated with my kids. We've been moving posts around at our house. And these are six-foot to eight-foot posts. I'm so thankful. Nobody's teeth got knocked out. One of my boys would pick the post up, and he would twirl around like a merry-go-round. Oh, man. I don't know how many times I went over to him and told him, you've got to be careful. This thing is sticking out four foot out each side. Be careful where you're walking. I wanted to go up to him after a few warnings and say, verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said, seven. He said to him, how is it you do not understand? Now, I know we can pick our own tone for the voice of Jesus. 
Verse 21 for me, I really think it's like staring at them going, how is it you don't understand? I, 12 after the 5, 7 after the 4. I'm not worried about bread here, folks, he's saying. Okay? I'm worried about you getting behind the Pharisees. 15, I'm worried about you getting behind the politics of Herod. I'm worried about you filling yourself up with bread that is inappropriate and bad. I could look at my kids and say, listen, guys, I'm not worried about you hearing words you shouldn't hear because you're going to hear them. What I'm worried about is you filling up yourself with those words. Guys, I'm not worried about images because even though you try not to see those things, sometimes the world throws it at you. You know, there's certain times I'm driving through a town and I was like, I can't believe they show what's on billboards anymore. I can't believe if we're watching something on on television, but the only thing we watch in prime time anymore is maybe football. And it's like, let's just change the station when the commercials come on. I can't believe that's being shown. I, I will do my best to keep them from everything, but I can't keep them from everything. But why do you want to see it and hear it? That's what I'm most concerned about, guys. It's the same thing with you guys here tonight. I can't keep you from everything false out there. But I'm asking you, Why do you want to eat of it? Because it's not good. I want you to eat a good, healthy, spiritual meal. And we're running out of time here, so i got three last points. It'd be great to continue and get into the point of blindness in verses 22 through 26, because you see this is what he's building to. Sometimes we're blind. Two last points, please. 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. How do you want to stay out of the bad bread? 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Put the time, energy, and effort into knowing your Bible and you will not have to worry about false teaching because you'll know your Bible. I've read it many times before, heard it said many times before, that if you ever want to figure out the fake false currency, you don't study the fake false, you study the real. So that way when you see fake, you say, this doesn't line up to the real. I'll give you two quick examples of this that I've run into over the 20 years that I've been teaching. Um, I don't remember how many years ago when they came out all those movies, the Da Vinci Code, right, where Jesus was supposedly married to Mary. And people would come up and say, man, what do you think about this? Boy, is that in the Bible? And it's like, yeah, Jesus is married. He's married to me. I'm the bride of Christ. So it's already been decided. He's not married to Mary. He didn't have secret kids because the Bible says this. I don't have to study it out because I've studied the real and I know it's not in there. Or a few years ago, I guess it's been longer than a few years ago now, where that guy said that Jesus was going to return in May. And um, people come up and say, boy, what do you think about this? Nope, ain't going to happen because the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour. So since I know that the Bible already says no one knows the day or the hour, don't have to worry about it. I don't mean to step on toes when I say this one, so please don't get angry at me, please. A couple years ago when everybody's getting really hyped up about the blood moons, right? If you just kind of study out the Bible, you start realizing the Jews based their calendar on moons, and the idea of blood moons really wasn't that big of a deal because you just study out the real. When you rightly divide the word of truth and someone comes and knocks at your door and says, hi, we'd like to tell you about Jesus being the first created being of God. You don't sit there and say, I've never heard that before. Tell me more. 
No, because you immediately go and say, I, wait a second, I've studied the Bible. He's not the first created being of God. He is God who created the heavens and the earth. Because I can show you that in John chapter 1. I can show you that in the book of Colossians. I can go to the Old Testament. I can go to the New Testament. I can show you that because I've studied out the real. Rightly divide the word of truth. Now, next one, Acts 17, please. I've got to go quick here. Acts 17. If I don't get done in time, they storm the castle with the kids. It's not pretty. Acts 17. And I got seven kids back there, so it's going to be my kids that are storming the castle. You guys know this one in Acts 17. Paul comes up, teaches to them, preaches to them. Verse uh, 10 of Acts 17. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, they were more fair-minded. That's an interesting word in verse 11. More noble than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Oh, man. I will never be bothered by that. If you come up to me after a teaching and say, Hey, James, you made this point. Can you give me that reference one more time? You bet. Because if I said something without a reference, ask. One of my boys, when we do devotions, I used to think that he was argumentative with me. He wasn't. His personality is, how do you know that? Okay, and I've now turned that around. It's like, I like this now. Came across first as questioning everything. And now it turns into, yeah, you're right. We were talking about childlike faith the other day. Came up in our study in the book of Luke, where it says this idea of childlike faith and this idea of the children, come bring the children to me. And he says, childlike faith, that's not in the Bible. I said, childlike faith is in the Bible. He goes, well, no, it's not. I said, this idea of child... He goes, no, 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 listen to what you just said, Dad. The idea of childlike faith is in the Bible, but the phrase childlike faith is not in the Bible. Oh, be quiet, fine. You know, I understand what you're saying. The phrase childlike faith, but it is childlike. But dad, you said childlike faith in the Bible. It's not. Go to your room. You know what I mean? That's, that's what it comes down to. He's not questioning. He's being a Berean. And I tell you, be a Berean. And so if you're listening to some teacher and like they say, man, that's kind of crazy. Can they back it up with proper and context scripture? Now, when I say in context, because I can make the Bible say a lot of funky things if you just let me take it out of context. In context. Third point, first one was know your Bible, 2 Timothy 2.15. Next one, check out what they say about the Bible, Acts 17.11. This one I don't have a scripture reference for because it's just something I like to say. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Know what you believe and why you believe it. If someone comes up to you and says, are you a Christian? Yes, why? I don't know. No, know what you believe and why you believe it. If you believe that strongly in something, why? What is it? Back it up. And you can sit here and you can say, I'm not a reader. Technology will read it to you. I don't have a good commentary. Just ordered some, give it to you for free. I don't have a good devotional. Got a whole room full and back in Pat's office, you just asked me. I don't have anybody to ask Bible questions. If you're married, check with your husband first. Then have him come check with me because I would love to get a chance to talk to you about it. Text me, call me, email me. I will do whatever I can to help you know and understand God's word. By that point, if you're just saying, I don't want to, there's nothing I can do about that. Know it, study it, read it. It's worth it, folks. All right, it's after 8 here. I've got to finish up. Any quick questions about anything here before we close up? We'll continue this next week, and we will pick it up there with the uh, healing of the blind man, continuing through this then, okay? All right, hey, would you guys stand with me, please? Lord, looking outside, it is a beautiful evening, and I thank you for that. 
I thank you for the safety with the storms that came through. Lord, I think of all the farmers right now, and I believe what you said in the Bible is the hardworking farmers. This is a year unprecedented. I pray, Lord, that you are making yourself strong to them, peaceful to them in this time of faith. Lord, upcoming garage sale giveaway for your glory. Prayer booths at the fair for your glory. Teens going to camp for your glory. Baptism for your glory. Help us, Lord, to know you and to know you deeply. We love you in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.